Well, good morning, Vineyard. Everybody say good morning to Brian. He's a little around Buxus this morning. Good morning, Brian. That's it. That's right. So good to see everybody. Say good morning to your neighbor this morning. Yeah, neighbors to me. All right, we're feeling extra generous. Everybody say good morning to Chris on electric guitar this morning. It's Chris. Chris and Brian, if you didn't know, they're really the glue that holds this worship fabric together. So good to see everybody. Yeah, that's right. Keep talking. They're very humble people. That's right. Well, we are so glad to see everybody. We're so glad to see everybody online. Everybody in their best voice say good morning to our online community. That wasn't your best voice, but we'll take it. Let's pray. And uh, who came with expectation of God doing a mighty thing in your life this morning? Absolutely. And if you didn't, I pray that God does an amazing thing in your life this morning. So, Father, we thank you, and we just, man, we love you so much. You are a generous God. You are a God that never leaves us. You never forsake us. You walk with us through all the things in our lives that go on. We're just so thankful that your love is everlasting. Just be with us this morning. Meet each person exactly where they're at. I pray just for that special touch or that feeling or that nudge or just let each person know here that that Holy Spirit, that you're with them. And we thank you. We thank you that we gather here corporately because this is your church. And we thank you for that. So we just pray, come. Just completely fill our service today. And be our everything. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So if you feel like getting to your feet, you can stand. Uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Swafield section is over on this side this morning. So just saying, there's a a family member who's here that, uh, I love it when it turns everything upside down. Oh no, the Swafields always sit over here. I was like, no, stay there. We're going to throw the feng shui of the church off. If you feel like into your feet, you can stand. We're going to lift our voices and praise his name.
Chains have been broken, 
Anything going on with anybody with that song? I'm just not feeling released yet to just go to the next one. Any anything? 
I know it's kind of not on par, but I just I don't feel like go. Something else is going on. It's okay.
Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder.
Amen. I don't know who's doing announcements, but you better get up here because we got another round in us, I think. <laughs> Just, yeah. Chris, yeah. Don't get rich started. We're going to take his shoe off. <laughs> this in music terms is when you lose the whole thing. <laughs> Just lost it all. No, the the... Isn't it good to praise his name? Isn't it? it is. Just those words, I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, there it is. I'm going to hear my praises roar. And you know what a praise can be when you can't even form the words. And you can't speak them. But it's that inside coming out, right? Are you, are you doing announcements, Jen? Jen is? Okay, well, you're in for another whirlwind, so we're just going to turn it over to her. So we fired her up, and she's on, so. You're, you're good. Sing a little louder. Hallelujah. All right, um, I'm going to, wait a minute. Y'all might get well get ready because this is what heaven's going to look like and be like. Woo! Glory. We're going to sing, 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 sing. Right now, some of us are probably right in the smack dab middle of a storm, right? But God's got us, right? God's got us. Hold on. Cling up. Cling, cling, cling. All right, Pastor, I'm not going to preach this. Anyway, it's so wonderful to see all of your beautiful, handsome faces this morning. Welcome to the Vineyard Community Church. We're so glad you could join us here at the Vineyard and all of you at home. And as always, our service today is streaming live on Facebook. Today, we kick off a new sermon series in the book of Titus. Pastor Brent Paulson's message today is called Finishing What Was Left Unfinished, hmm. found in Titus. Grab your Bible or cell to look up today's text or follow along in your bulletin. We'd like to take a moment now to honor our veterans. Would any veteran please stand? Any veteran please stand? And if you have a family member who is a veteran, please stand. If you have a family veteran, stay standing, please. Uh, Please stand. Thank you for your courage, dedication, and hard work. And thanks to the military families for their support, resilience, and sacrifice. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for these men and women who gave their lives and those who went and fought there so we wouldn't have to fight here. Father, I ask that you would bless them wherever they may be right now. And we know some are having issues, and Father, but you are in control. So continue to be with them, continue to cover them, continue to bless them, 
And Father, continue to let them know that you are there, you were there, and you will always be there for them. God bless you, our veterans and families. Amen, in Jesus' name. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. And ladies, VCC membership class is calling you to membership here. Is God calling you to membership here? I I think this is a good place to be, call you home. So, yeah, I like it for 34 years. So, all right, hallelujah. Yes. Um, So join us today, following service, 1130 a.m., to 1 p.m. in the fellowship hall. Um, Our food service center needs volunteers tomorrow, Monday, November 13th, for food box assembly from 4.30 to 6 p.m. Then on Tuesday, beginning at 11 a.m. for pantry setup. At 3 p.m., volunteers are needed to help with our food distribution. And at 6 p.m., we need volunteers to help with clean up and that's in red letter. Melinda, would you come up, please? Oh, joy, I get to hold it now. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Melinda Bennis. I'm a co-leader of the Food Resource Center on Tuesdays. Last year, we served 414,000 meals, and this year we are looking to blow that number out of the water. I wouldn't be up here if there wasn't a dire need. Trust me, I can't stand public speaking. As a community, we have always come together to support one another in times of need, and now we are in need of your assistance. We are facing a significant shortage of volunteers, or regular volunteers, this Tuesday, November 14th. We are reaching out to our wonderful congregation for urgent help. Anytime that you have this Tuesday to help from 12 noon to 7 p.m., trust me, if you're breathing, we can find you a job to do. (laughs) In the past, in times of scarcity, our strength as a community shines even brighter. Let us come together as one church family and extend a helping hand to those who require your support. Please Please see me or Denise if you have any questions. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Melinda. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, Please, if you can be here, if you can help, really, come out. It's such a blessing. Reverend Dr. Pramod Joshua Burns is head of Rima, Rima Global Ministries in India. His church operates in the power of the Holy Spirit and has grown to 2,000 members where would we put them all up on the ceiling and whatever? Okay. Uh, he is touring and speaking in the U.S. and will be here to speak at our church this Thursday. All right. November 16th at 7 p.m. Come, come, come to this exciting opportunity. Join us in the fun and help us decorate the church for Christmas, Saturday, November 18th from 1 to 3 p.m., Many hands will make quick work with clear written directions. Come and choose your task. Your pastors want to say thank you for your great generosity during Pastors Appreciation Month. We love you all. Thank you, our pastors. 
And don't forget today's offering. We have a small table set up in the back of the sanctuary for your offering or donate with Zelly Zell. Also check out the bulletin for info on our intake and need each week. Now it's time for the Operation Shoebox Final Collection and Blessing. Okay, today's the day. Our shoeboxes will be on their way. I want to thank everyone who packed a shoebox. And the last most important part of these shoe boxes is to pray. We're going to pray for the children that receive them. We're going to pray for the, the missionaries and the workers that distribute them. And guys, I want you all to pray with me. If you packed a shoe box, continue to pray for your shoe box. If you didn't pack a shoe box, pray for these shoe boxes. These kids, it might be the only Christmas gift that they're going to receive this Christmas. And we want to bless them. And they're also going to receive a a book in their own language that tells the story of Jesus. So we pray that they'll learn and come to know about Jesus and they'll accept him as their Savior. So please pray with me. Father God, you're so good that you let us be a part, a small part of what you're doing in the world. We pray for these shoeboxes. We pray that you'll guide them and put them in the hands of the children that you prepared for them. Father, we pray that you'll prepare these children's hearts, that they'll be blessed by the things that they receive in these shoeboxes, but most of all, that they'll be blessed by your message, by your salvation, that you'll soften their hearts and you'll open their eyes and let them know you and let them receive you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Everybody have a blessed week. See you back here next time, same place, Lord willing. And now Pastor Brent. I get a free iPad. Thank you. Thank you, Kaylee. That was really nice. Free iPad. I didn't even think I was going to get a free iPad today. That's awesome. Good morning. It's good to see you. We have a good crowd today. Yay. Sorry. Some of you didn't even get bulletins. That's uh, 
We, um, if, if, you really, if you do really want one, you can get it. We can uh, email it to you. So let us know. Just let Teresa know, and she can send you an email copy of it. Right, Teresa? She can. Um, so last week I was out at um, the Lakewood Vineyard. There we were ordaining one of the, the new pastor out there. His, his, uh, they started about... Matt and his wife Erin started planting a church about five years ago out there. They stayed with us for a few months, and and um, they've taken off, and church is doing really well, and, and he'd never been ordained, so we did an ordination for him, and it was really nice. It was fun. It was cool to see, you know, somebody that actually looks at, looked at life and said, you know what, I think what God's calling me to in my life is to become a, a, a full-time pastor. And um, often we don't think of that as a vocational possibility. I mean, I did. As soon as I got, became a Christian, I just felt a tug on my heart that, that what I was doing, even though it was really good, I was working with disabled adults and helping them learn to communicate and helping them learn to work at Cerebral Palsy Center. I was doing all that stuff, and it was really good work. It wasn't like, you know, I wasn't like, you know, making crack in a basement somewhere. You know, I was, I was helping, helping. Well, I don't know. I just, first thing that came to my mind, I guess, which is pretty bad, but um, anyway, I was helping, you know, so it wasn't like I was doing something bad, but I, I actually, no, that was my pre-Christian, never mind. Um, but, you know, it was, it, I just felt like there was something else. And, you know, God may be calling some of you, even if you're older, um, into type, some type of, of more vocational or even bivocational or part-time or volunteer ministry that maybe some of you have had a passion for something and you've just never done it. And you, you think, man, this church should be doing X, Y, I wonder why they don't do this. Now, a lot of you that have been here for a long time know better than to bring that up, because guess what will happen? Anybody know what will happen if you do that? Yeah, you, vol- you have just volunteered yourself for it. So, you know what, you guys, this church really needs to do this. And I go, you're right, we really do. And they'll go, okay, what do you, are you going to get somebody to do it? And I go, yeah, I just did. You just volunteered. Um, so... Anyway, so today we're going to start a new series that's on the book of Titus, which, to be honest, I don't know if I've ever preached out of Titus, and it's a very short book, it's three chapters, and it's written by the Apostle Paul in about, in the 60s, he wrote it in the 60s, how many of you were around in the 60s? Yeah, a lot of us were. Do you remember when Paul wrote, it came out right after the Beatles' White Album, it was right, right around then. He came out with uh, with his letter to Titus. No, it was actually the the actual sixties, like sixties, sixties. So it was about thirty years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So it's pretty soon after Jesus was ascended into his kingdom. You know, we sometimes sometimes people will teach that yeah, some of these books were written hundreds of years later and. They were just trying to, you know, they were just making up stories and da da da. Like, no, when, when Paul wrote Corinthians, he said there were 500 eyewitnesses that just in that neighborhood that you could talk to 
that were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. Now, that's, that ain't too bad, right? If you have to go to court and you have 500 eyewitnesses, that would win a court case, you know? Unless it was against State Farm, and then you wouldn't. So Anyway, but that's a whole other story of bitterness on my part. Um, preach it, brother. Preach it. Okay. So, <laughs> I'll be getting notices from State Farm. Oh, they'll probably send me, like, cease and desist orders. Um, so anyway, sorry if any of you are State Farm. They've done me wrong. They've done me wrong. <clears throat> um, anyway... So today he's writing, he's writing to Titus, who was one of his protégés. Paul, Paul was really good at raising up um, young, young men and young women, too, to, um, to basically to take his place. I mean, he, Paul looked at this as, as something that was the one-and-done thing. He, wanted, he looked at God's kingdom and the work that he was doing as something that was worth passing on to the next generation. And so Paul would mentor young men and young women who had a call on their life, and he would sense that call and invite them along with him to go with him on these trips. Some of you, over the years, some of you were invited with, by me on trips. Jim was. He, one trip we, he was invited on, one of his first trips when he started doing ministry was when he tried to jump out of the car on the way there once I told him what we were doing. Do you remember that trip, Jim? Yeah. The other trip, he had to fight with a stalker out in the lobby. That was another whole... That wasn't really a trip. That was just kind of... It was a trip, yeah. You, had, you really had a really interesting early minute. Yeah, I don't know why you're here either. It's like, yeah. So who said it? You know what? Just think of the excitement. I mean, there's a lot of people that sign up for the military that never see that much action. You know? Um, so anyway... Uh, that's not the message this morning. This morning, we're, t- we're talking about um, about things, finishing things that aren't done. You know, trying to finish um, what was left unfinished. And we we see that around us sometimes. There's a house down by us on Lakeshore Boulevard, and they must the people that bought it must have put probably somewhere around 150, maybe 200 thousand dollars into rehabbing and re, re, rebuilding. They, they almost added on the full, you know, a full extension of their house, and it looks beautiful, and it looks gorgeous, and it's looked that way for two years, and it's just been sitting there. And so, Teresa and I decided just to move in, and so we're living... No, we're not really. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like tempted to, just to see what would happen. You know, like, would somebody say, hey, what do you... Do you do you, do you own this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we do, sure. Um, but no, it's just been sitting there. And it's so weird because the, the city doesn't seem to have said anything and the, nobody, I don't know what's going on with it, but it's just sitting there. So evidently somebody started building it and ran out of money and just left it kind of three quarters of the way done. In fact, there's a lot of things in, in our world that have been left undone. There's a famous... Um, Cathedral, really amazing Catholic church, uh, designed by the architect Anthony Godai, um, and he built this amazing cathedral. But he 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 never finished it. He never finished it because he ran out of money. 
Dickens, most people don't know this, he wrote a mystery, of, it's called The Mystery of Edwin Drood, um, a Portsmouth, and it was um, after he wrote The Tale of Two Cities, and it was actually one of his um, final novels that was a murder mystery, which my wife would have loved, but he never was able to finish the book. He died before he could finish it. Orson Welles, the same thing, died in the middle of the work, The Other Side of the Wind, a project in 20 years in the making, starring Dennis Hopper and John Hudson. Geoffrey Chaucer never completed the Canterbury Tales, if you know anything about English, if you're literate at all. He never finished those. Um, there's a... Uh, one of the one at Leonardo da Vinci's 15th century masterpiece, the mural um, underwent extensive repaint. They redid the whole thing um, in Milan, but except for the roof, they never finished the ceiling in the painting. And so, if you go to see the uh, the 15th century masterpiece of the Lord's Supper. You, you, they're, they're missing part of it. Um, North, North Korea built like the world's tallest skyscraper. It was going to be the tallest hotel in the world. It was 150, 104 stories. And instead they decided to try and um, shoot, it, shoot it off, but it didn't go... No, they didn't really. <laughs> it's just it's a North, North Korea joke, sorry. Um, there's actually a couple Beatles songs that weren't finished. Free as a Bird was one, one of the songs that was called. And then Real Love was another one that they found tapes partially done. They're Beatles, incomplete Beatles songs. I don't think that was where the group Leonard Skinner got Free Bird from. But. And then the guy who wrote, which I actually really like, the trilogy, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and The Girl Who Played with Fire. Any of you see that? Good, good series. He actually was supposed to have ten of those, and he wasn't able to finish them. All kinds of things like that. Bruce Lee, famous martial arts guy, kind of started the whole martial arts genre. He had planned on um, uh, doing a, a movie called Game of Death, but he died in the intervening period, kind of under mysterious circumstances. And so there's a lot of people who didn't finish what, I mean, there's all kinds of other ones. There was the, the world's biggest mall was supposed to be in China, but they never really finished it. And so it just became kind of this giant empty building. And Minnesota won for the biggest mall in the world, yes. <clears throat> yes, we did. So go to Minnesota. Not China, go to Minnesota. Um, Anyway, so things that aren't done. So that's what Paul's writing about. He's writing to Titus because they had gone to, now they had gone to um, this this island called Crete, which actually, if you look at Crete, it's kind of down below Greece, down below Turkey. It looks like a pretty cool place to take a vacation. Has anybody ever been to Crete? Really? Is it pretty cool? It's very cool. They speak Greek. Do they? Okay. Do they know how to order wine? It's kind of a private joke between Jan and us. We were at some Greek restaurant once, and the person was speaking in Greek, and Jan, used, Jan and Roland were stationed in Greece for a while, so Jan was trying to translate. It had been a while. And so 
Jan came back, and you know that she's talking, and we said, "What did what did the waitress say, Jan?" And she said, "She's going to bring us some grapes." And I'm like, "Oh, cool." So she comes back with like mass quantities of wine, <laughs> which is like, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I don't drink, but our waves drank it all, so it turned out fine. Um, anyway. Let me, let me go. So Paul and, and, and Titus were there, and they brought the message of the gospel to all kinds of these areas, these towns in Crete. And guess what? People responded. Isn't that amazing? People actually responded. We, don't, we sometimes don't give God enough credit for the fact that he's actually working in people's lives. He was working in my life. He's working in other people's lives around us. I was, when I was at this conference, or this um, uh, ordination at at um, the Lakewood Vineyard, Rich Nathan told Matt that he was going to have at the end of the service he was going to have anybody have people stand up who wanted to know Jesus more or know Jesus better. And Matt goes, you know, we don't do that in our church. Nobody's really going to stand up. And, he, and Rich goes, and Rich is a pastor of a church that grew to be about ten thousand people. So. I, I would just never argue with Rich. Plus, he's got a, he has a photographic memory, and he's just really smart. He was he actually taught law at OSU, and he was a lawyer. Not that that makes any difference, but you just you know there's like you don't tug on Superman's cape, you don't spit it into the wind, and you don't get in like debates with Rich Nathan. Um, and so, anyway, <laughs> and I didn't know this all was going on, but I'm saying at the end of the service, Rich goes, "All right, anybody who would like to know more about Jesus." Just, I, you know, if you want to know Jesus, if you want to experience him more, just wherever you are, stand up. And people started standing up. And Matt's sitting there going, and I didn't know all this was going on. I'm like, I'm just thinking, wow, that's kind of, that's kind of bold. It's kind of scary to stand up in the middle of people you don't even know. So anyway, a couple of days later, we had a meeting with the pastors. And Matt said, yeah, Rich told me he's going to do that. And he told me that people actually do respond too. And that's what was happening in Crete. People were responding. Do you know that in our world today there are people that God is working on? And that all we have to do sometimes is ask. Say, hey, I, I, you know, this isn't, it's not like we're trying to push you know, some kind of religious agenda on them or something like that. We're trying to tell them where we found life. In a very real sense, um, for me... I found the answer to, you know, every, the answer to life. I found, I found the one who gives me hope when I've been going through a lot of physical problems, that this isn't all that there is, that, that there's more. And even if God chooses at some point, and he will at some point, to bring me, um, to take me from this world, he has another world for me. And, and he has answers not only for the world to come, but even for this world, to bring back into this world, to bring the kingdom back into this world. To bring, do you know that the, 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 the hospital, the whole system, not this system of hospitals, but the whole idea of hospitals came from Christians? Did you know that? It was Christians that first started that. They said, who's taking care of all these sick people from the plagues and stuff? And they were like, nobody. And they started building these houses. They called them houses of care. And they eventually became hospitals. And that's why, even when I was younger, it was the churches that ran the hospitals. Yeah, any of you remember that? It used to be always like St. Mark's Hospital or St. Luke's Hospital. And the churches ran the hospitals. And guess what? It was kind of amazing. There wasn't a lot of financial problems with that. You know, if you were really poor and you couldn't afford to go to the hospital, 
Well, somehow, at least in the area we were in, somehow the, the hospital somehow managed to get you in anyway. The church and the church people, and again, some people were on the other side of this issue, but it was, it was the church that led the charge to abolish slavery. It was the church and a lot of people in the church and a lot of women in the church that moved to get women's rights to vote. And the civil rights movement was led by a pastor, Martin Luther King Jr., who said that unless there's a prophetic voice that can speak for God into this scenario, this is what Dr. King said, this will not work. But I am speaking, Dr. King did what he did based on a holy passion that he felt like he was doing what God had come. In fact, he told, he, one night when he was getting bomb threats and stuff, <clears throat> he told his, he was sitting at a table and he said, suddenly this calm came over him and this voice came to him and said, you keep preaching justice, you keep preaching truth, and I'll be with you. Wow. So, let me read first, or Titus, not first Titus, Titus 1, Paul, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, Grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So there's a system going on here. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, manage children, believe, or are faithful. The term there is faithful. And are not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient. Since an overseer must manages God's household, he must be um, not he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quit tempered, or not a bully is what actually it says in the Greek. It does. It actually says not a bully, not given to drunkenness or violent or pursuing dishonest gain, not not doing it to try and rob people. And man, is there a lot of people out there that try and rob people? Isn't there? You know. The, I don't know if a lot of you give to like the televangelists and stuff, but I would ask, just ask you to really question some of that stuff. Because, you know, Jim and I really need jets. Don't we need jets? We need our own jets. So, um, I'm just kidding. Yeah, my jet just broke down over here. Um, <clears throat> not quick temper, not given to drunkenness. Uh, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, you must be hospitable. And this fits for women, too. She must be hospitable. One who loves uh, what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. They must hold firmly to the trustworthy message. They must be passionate about this message of Jesus. They must believe. And this is a message for Jim and Denise this morning, too, as they begin to step into more of the role of starting to Take over this. You've got to be passionate about this, about this message of Jesus and believe that it is the answer that the world is looking for. And that you never have to be ashamed or embarrassed about it. 
You can be ashamed and embarrassed by some of the people who present it, but not about it. It's like you find a cure for cancer. You don't hide it under a barrel. You bring it out and you share it. so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. There was a group of religious people that had come into, um, the, uh, that kind of followed Paul around and tried to undo what he was doing. And, and sometimes it will say the Jews or something like that in there. And I, and I purposely take that out because I don't think, I think it has more to do with it's, it, that becomes very anti-Semitic sometimes. It has more to do with just a, a group of religious people that were um, following Paul around and trying to discredit what he was doing. So um, they must be silenced because they're disrupting whole households by teaching what they are not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil, lazy brutes, or evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Crete must have been really bad. Paul never says stuff like this. It's almost he's stereotyping something here. But there, historically, there are some areas that you would just go, yeah, I don't know if you want to go there. You know, you ever hear, you ever been around some areas that are kind of like that? Like, I, I'd be really careful going there, you know. Teresa and I have been through a few areas like that. And I think Paul's kind of saying this tongue-in-cheek, too. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they'll be sound in the faith and pay no attention to, to Jewish myths or to religious myths or merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are true, but to those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both the minds and consciences are corrupt. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good thing. And so, Lord, just bless these words, and may they pierce our hearts. May you call people today. May you um, free us up today to do what you've called us to do. Those out on the video land and those here, I feel like you're gonna, you've been calling people, and in a sense, they haven't been responding. So I would ask you to respond today. So finishing what is left, finishing what is left. The first part of this is God's purpose. Paul lays out... His vision of what God's purpose is for his life. He knows what he's here for. He knows what God has placed him here for. Do you know what God has placed you here for? Do you understand that? There's nothing better. You know, it took us, both Teresa and I, we, when I got, I felt really called to, to God when I became a Christian in my early 20s. I felt like I'm supposed to be serving God. And so we didn't know how. I didn't want to become a pastor and so, and I wanted to go through like a quick, like six month ministry training thing, so I could just get right into it. Well, God had other plans, because like Paul says, Paul begins this by saying, "Paul, a servant," and the term there he uses is slave, a slave of Jesus, and and he's using the term in a in a different way than than a typical slave language would be. By the way, when it talks about slavery in the New Testament and the Old Testament, it's not the same kind of slavery that was going on in America. It it didn't have to do with a particular group of people that somebody went and kidnapped and sold for profit like cattle. Oftentimes it was people who would actually get into financial trouble, they would put themselves at, at the, you know, kind of, under slavery to some rich person and say, hey, 
They would get paid a regular wage. Often they were more educated than the, the person that was their master kind of thing. It was still not a good system. But Paul uses the term slave because I think he's trying to say, you know what, there's, there's part of that thing where, where when, when my master says do something, I, I just do it. When, when Jesus tells me to do something, I just go and do it. Did you ever try that? To just go, okay, Jesus, I think you're asking me to do this. I'm just going to go do it. Sometimes it's kind of scary, isn't it? Jesus, I, I feel like you're asking me to go pray for that person. I'm just, I'm just going to go do it. Jesus, I feel like you're asking us to go to Wycliffe, Ohio for Teresa and I. Hey, Teresa, we're going to Wycliffe. Teresa and Bethany weren't real excited about that, but um, but it was what God was calling. We both, we actually, it wasn't me saying, hey, we have to go there. It was us actually deciding together. Like, where's God leading us? If you're, if you're married and you have a spouse and they completely disagree with what you, you think God's calling you to do, you probably should listen to your spouse. So, God's purpose. Paul's, Paul understood God's purpose in his life to be this. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle to Christ Jesus, a sent one who was sent. And Paul was an apostle in a bigger sense in that he came in this tradition of like the prophets and apostles, the prophets and the apostles. Prophets in the Old Testament were one that wrote the scriptures for the Old Testament. Apostles in the New Testament were ones who wrote scripture for the New Testament. And so they, have, they were given a, a divine special calling to, to write and to describe what, what the resurrection was about, what it meant, all that kind of stuff. So, and he said he, he was a servant of Jesus to further faith, the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of truth that leads to godliness or, or a transformed life, a complete life. So Paul recognized that that was his purpose and calling. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Do you know that God had a plan for this whole world? He had a plan for the fact that we were going to die one day. He had a plan for the fact that this world was going was to fall, that we were going to make choices throughout our histories that began to destroy what was going on here. And his plan wasn't to just do away with this earth. God is like the first environmentalist. His plan was to restore, to build a what? A new heaven and a new earth that were basically out of the building blocks of the old. And, and when he says he's restoring or he's going to make all things new, I think he's taking the, the building blocks that were here, just like with Jesus' body. Remember when Jesus was raised from the dead? He comes back in a new type of body, a resurrected body, a, a future body. But it still looks and seems like his old. They, people knew him, and there were still scars there. But he could pass through walls, which is really cool. And he could like do this transporter thing, which is really, you know, it's like we have eternal life, and all we're doing is going. You know, I, I can just picture a lot of us there. Jim, especially, I can picture Jim doing this. You know, like he gets to heaven, and he and he discovers that he can transport from place to place. And so for the first 10,000 years, that's all Jim does. He's just like, like, Jim, there's other things you can do here. He's like, I know, but this is so cool. I'm just going to keep zapping myself all over the place. Um, just saying. Um, anyway, 
I'll just be doing OCD things, so it'll be awesome. Um, in the hope of life, uh, in which God, who does not lie... Now, why does he put in there who does not lie? Because they're working in Crete. In Crete, some of the main gods in Crete were Zeus. In fact, it was said that Zeus's home was kind of Crete. And, and I don't know how much you know about Zeus. We know about Zeus from kind of the stories of Hercules. Any of you, have you ever watched the old Hercules movies with Zeus? And Therese and I used to watch that one with, um, who is that guy? Um, Kevin Sorbo. We used to watch that. And then we used, my favorite was Warrior, Warrior Princess or Princess Warrior. Xena. Yes, Xena. Any Xena fans here? Come on, you can own it. Own it. <laughs> Holly, weren't you a Xena fan? Uh, she's like, nah, nah. Um, Xena, warrior princess. But anyway, a lot of those gods were really fickle. And they would lie all the time. They would lie all the time. And so the people, when they were, we don't understand this. People, when they come from other countries, sometimes understand this. We don't understand this. But they had these gods that would tell them one thing and then do another thing. Or they wouldn't know which sacrifices they would give. One day they would sacrifice one of their kids they, on the altar. They would literally kid one, kill one of their kids on the altar to make it rain. And maybe it would rain. The next day they offer another kid, and it wouldn't rain. And they were like, I'm running out of kids, you know, or whatever. But there was, there was an inconsistency to the gods that they were worshiping. And so Paul's bringing in this idea, this is a faithful God, who wants to bring us life. And when he talks about eternal life, he's not just talking about a, a, a quantitative life of like living forever. The Greeks believed in that, as a spirit you'd live forever. He was talking about a quantitative life that begins the moment that you begin to walk with Christ, or Christ begins to enter into you. Jesus said, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Do you know that eternal life can begin the day that Jesus begins to work in your life? It doesn't begin when you die. It begins now. And it goes on through creation. And it's culminated when, when God determines to make all things new. When the, when the trees of the hills will clap their hands. When he restores all of creation. It makes all things new. I look forward to that, you know? Because I love creation. I grew up in northern Minnesota. We, we, grew up in a, we grew up literally going up to the boundary waters where you could literally, we would take our paddles and drink off of our paddles in the lake. When's the last time you could do that? That's pretty cool. Where I would walk in places where I don't know if any humans ever walked before. So, God, so Paul understood his purpose, and he's laying that out. In which he has now appointed, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me, God our Savior. And Paul recognized that part of his call was to preach this message that would literally bring God's kingdom forward, that would open up in people's hearts. You know how people understand and learn about who God is? Through proclamation, through preaching, through teaching. That's how, mostly how people begin to understand 
who God is. Now, God's working himself, too, like in my life. God was doing all kinds of stuff. But it was also people telling me about it that helped me understand what this whole thing was. And so the first, the first thing that Paul says is that, that there's a purpose. We have a purpose. Paul understood his purpose. And you have a purpose. All of us have a purpose. There's a book called The Church Unleashed I used to share in this church. And like I said, I would like, my, our goal and Jim and Denise's goal when they begin to step into this role more is not to use you to benefit them. It's to help you discover what God has made you for. What has God made you for? So the second the second point in this, and by the way, um, there's a great quote by Becky Pippert on this whole idea of being a, a slave or a servant of Jesus. Becky Pippert was one of my favorite writers, and she said, whatever controls us is really our God, what controls us. By contrast, Jesus' ownership of our lives is not a control that manipulates us or takes away our dignity. He governs our lives in the right way by being who he is without compromise and by insisting we become all we're meant to be. Do you know what Jesus' intent for us is? Is for us to become everything that we are created to be. And he tells us this can only occur through following him, obeying him and maintaining a living, passionate kinship to him. God created us for himself. If we're living with any other center other than Jesus, we'll be living incompletely. He is the only one in the universe who can control us without destroying us. No one will ever love you like Jesus. The second thing is is God's mission. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order everything that was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town I directed. So the second thing he was called to do is to set up people in all these towns that have become Christians to set up leaders in all of these places. Now this would be sort of like pastors like we did with Matt in Lakewood and other pastors in other parts of Cleveland. But it could even be being established as a small group leader or somebody who's working with one of the outreaches in church being established in that. We used to have a, um, this woman in our church, she, she became kind of this, she was kind of feeble towards the end of her life, but she would go out and she was like a pastor to the nursing home around here. And she would go and diligently, every week, teach the people about Jesus. Her name was Joan Manchuk. And so God, God's mission is to set up colonies of heaven here on earth that can, help direct, that can help directly transform not only the world, but the people who are being used to transform it. It was kind of cool. There's kind of a cool picture. We always think of the, the Christians moving into Europe and kind of overwhelming the Europeans, but it was actually before like the militant and the, the, that kind of people came in to Europe, there were these groups of monks 
They would just go float on these little coracle boats, and they would just go wherever they landed. They would go, and they would teach the people. Now, these are people who've been under, kind of under slavery to these kings. Who would make the, the kings would make them do everything to serve them. Well, these, these friars and, and monks would come in, and they would teach the people how to read. And they would teach the people how to plant food. And they would teach the people how to become self-dependent. And they would teach the people how to love. And they would teach the people what it looks like. They, they, they evidence to the people they were working with what Jesus looked like. So not all the people in the Middle Ages and in, in, the, early, you know, in the early days of the, church, the Catholic Church were evil and corrupt. There were a bunch of really cool people. There's a cool quote um, that we'll get to in a second here. It's by Ignatius of Loyola. And, and the, next, my next, um, the next part is God's leader. And this is where Paul kind of lays out an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife. Or again, if you're, if you're a woman in ministry, and Paul talks about this in the next chapter, um, he must be faithful. And, and then he talks about their children. He must, in other words, what Paul is saying is that you need to, you need to be able to, to a certain extent, be caring about your family. If you can't do that, how are you going to care about God's? Because basically what God is saying is, is, I want you to care about my family. And if you can't care about your family, you're not going to probably do well in caring about my family. Now this, I don't think Paul at all intends, you know, when our kids get to be 17, 18, 15, 16, whatever, they're going to decide their own paths and they're going to go their own way. So I don't think Paul is saying that, you know, you disqualify yourself if you're, you know, a 30- or 40-year-old kid goes off the deep end. I don't think he's saying that. And I don't think he's saying your family has to be perfect. I think he's saying that you have to love your wife and your family first. Your first priority is your wife and your family. And you need to be able to care for them because if you can't do that, you can't do this. And so that's when he's laying all these things out. And he lays some really good things out here. He says he must be blameless. And he's not, the term blameless there means actually transformed by the grace of God. He must have evidence of being transformed by the grace of God. Not overbearing, not bullying. Again, that bullying thing. Not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not bullying again, not pursuing dishonest gain, not doing this for their own financial benefit, which in this church has never really been a problem for any of the staff. Most of us have taken cuts to come and work here or had to work other jobs while we're working here. But, and then he goes into a list of things you should do. You need to be hospitable. And one who loves what is good and who loves people self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold, hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now you think about that and you go, well, what, why does he need to be locked into that? And why is Paul giving these things out? 
He's giving these out because there's a lot of bad management stuff and leaders and bosses in this world. There was a famous book written by Niccolo Machiavelli called The Prince. And it was for would-be leaders who are intent on gaining and holding power. And here's what Machiavelli said. And by the way, a lot of leadership books, even today, are based on this book. Here's what he said. If you have a choice to make, to be feared is much safer than to be loved. For it is a good rule about men that they are ungrateful, fickle liars, and fickle liars and deceitful, fearful of danger and greedy for gain. Those princes have accomplished most who paid little heed to keeping their promises, but knew how to manipulate the minds of men craftily. In the end, they won over those who tried to act honestly. Sound like a good? Sound like your boss? Now compare this. This is a this is a middle age Ignatian monk. This is Ignatius, actually. He says, and this is what we're to be. This is what you're to be, Jim. This is what you're to be, Denise, wherever you are. And any of the rest of us as followers of Jesus. By the way, part of the vineyard's DNA and our values are built off Ignatian spirituality. Leaders must act with great affection towards others. An affection that is coupled with passion to see the other person run at full speed towards perfection. We must, be, we must have an affection that is coupled with a passion to see you run at full speed towards the perfection God has for you. Ignatius believed that leaders have to be characterized by two things, a great affection for the person or people they're leading and a passion to see that other person run at full speed towards perfection. Wow. How many of you would want to work for somebody like that? Or follow somebody like that? And last of all, they need to be able to confront wrong teaching. You need to be able to speak to, and this is for you, Jim and Denise, to speak at and speak to people who are leading people astray. When Teresa and I first came to this church, it was kind of funny. We came here back in... Um, 1987, so by the time my two years are up, it will be, have been here 40 years. Um, and this isn't a sentence, by the way. I'm not going, I'll have, pay, I'll have, I'll have paid my 40-year sentence at the vineyard. And, and I still, we still plan on staying here, so we'll still be around. They might even let me preach once in a while. I don't know, maybe. Let's see. Um, Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and pay no attention to religious myths or mere human commands so as to reject the truth. And so there were some people who had snuck into the church and were just deceiving, doing terrible things. Well, when we first came here, we interviewed and everything seemed pretty good. You know how like when you first start dating somebody, they like... They, 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 when you first start dating somebody, they don't tell you all the gunk in their lives, you know? You find that out usually after you get married. <laughs> Dave just put his arm around Holly. Holly, please, come on. You can do it. Um, but, but the reality is, when we got here, 
we discovered there were a whole group of people, they were called Reconstructionists, who were teaching people that you couldn't have a marriage license, you shouldn't pay Social Security, you needed to get rid of, you needed to follow the Old Testament laws, you couldn't wear shirts with two kinds of cloth, you know, all the Old Testament laws, literally. You know, you should put disobedient children to death. I was like, I was like, oh my gosh. And so we asked some of the people that brought us here, we said, why... Why did you bring us? Why didn't you tell us this? And they said, Well, we thought if we told you, you wouldn't come. And I'm like, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know what? God wanted us here anyway. So we came. And you know what I had to do? One of the first things I had to do, and I'm like a young 27 year old pastor, I had to speak to these people and tell them, Hey, that's not okay to share in here anymore. And what I did is I, I preached him out of the church. I preached him out of the church. I preached through Romans. I preached about the grace of God. I preached about the freedom we have in Jesus. I preached about the new life Jesus had. I preached about how we're going to go into the city and feed the poor. I preached about how we're going to partner with God in establishing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And I remember... One of, one of the guys in the middle of one of the services, I was preaching through Romans on grace and talking about how we're not made right with God, because they were t- literally teaching you, you can't wear, you know, in the Old Testament, it talks about you can't wear two different types of cloth weaved together. And I, I was just preaching about how those, a lot of those laws and things were fulfilled in Jesus, and we don't need to, and I don't remember what I was preaching, but I was sharing the, the, what Jesus had done on the cross. And the difference that made, and the guy literally, one of the guys literally got stuff and stood up and said, I can't take this more. I'm leaving and I'm not coming back. I was like, okay, bye. (laughs) But that's sometimes what leaders have to do. Why? Well, if you consider yourself a shepherd, and a wolf comes into the sheep gate, you don't kind of placate. With, if the wolf comes in and tells you, hey, I'm not going to eat any sheep. I just kind of want to hang around with the sheep. I really like sheep. It's like, like no, you're a wolf. You get, see, this, see this little club thing? That's called a wolf club. And it's made for a purpose. So let's, let's finish here. So I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray, if, if there are any of you literally that haven't really just said yes to Jesus, I, I want you to say, say yes. To, even if you're not sure who he is and you're trying to figure out who he is, I want you to just say, Lord, I want to find out who you are. And I want you to take a risk and talk to one of us. Talk to Jim, myself, Teresa, whoever. And I, and I want some of you to be praying about what, if, what has God been laying on your heart that you've just been kind of pushing off to the side? What has God been speaking to you and you've been ignoring? Father, would you come and do that? Would you come in and, and bless Jim and Denise in this role that they're going to be slowly working their way into? Would you come and bless this community that we would be and do all that you you are our Lord. Help us to be your servants, Lord. We offer our hands and our feet.
and our mouths and our minds. And you can, if you want, you can just hold out your hands and, 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 and hold out your feet. No, you can't hold out your feet while you're holding out your hands, but anyway, <laughs> you can just hold out your hands. And, and Lord, we just offer our, our hands to you. We offer our minds to you. We offer our bodies to you as living sacrifices because you offered your body to us. And Lord, we know that you have what is best for us. Your intentions for us are good and not bad. And we pray, Lord, for all of us, those of us who lead, that we would treat other people like um, Ignatius of Loyola said. And those of us who, who um, follow, that we would um, be able to find leaders who, who genuinely love us and care about our, our well-being. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for, for this community. I bless it. I thank you for it. And I pray for some people, somebody's here, maybe a couple people, who have just never said yes. A whole heart, you've been always kind of sitting on that fence. Never said yes to Jesus. I'm going to invite you to come on up and get prayer today. And those of you who feel like you've been, God's been calling you to do something, you've been sitting on the fence, I want to challenge you to come up today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless. It's good, good time hanging out with you guys. Go Browns, right? Woo-hoo.